This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. King David said in Psalm 47, he said that God would be remembered through the generations. And so God is a generational God. Exodus chapter 3 verse 6 said he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So in saying that right there, Abraham had to make a decision to serve God, and he did, but his goal was his son Isaac would serve God. And Isaac made the choice to serve God, and then Isaac's goal was that his son Jacob would serve God. And so again, God is a generational God, so we're going to talk about this for several weeks just to help you biblically. Begin with me in Isaiah 43, verse 22. But you have not, and I highlight that, you have not called upon me, O Jacob. And you have been weary, or you're tired of me, O Israel. You have not, again, brought me the sheep for the burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused or required you to serve me with grain offerings, nor have I wearied or burdened you with incense. You have bought me no sweet cane, and the sweet cane had to do with the incense they made with money. Nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins, and you have wearied me, or you've gone astray with your iniquities. So what you begin to see here is they came to the altar, but they didn't come to the altar to present God the things they desired. They came to the altar and they presented God with their sins and their iniquities as all they had. And so when you look at the word sin, we fully understand that's anything to uh, miss the mark of what God set up. But uh, iniquities have to do with generational stuff. So when I said there they didn't present God what he desired, let me ask you something. What do you present God? Verse number 25. I, even I... In him who blots out, who wipes away, or erases out your transgressions for my own sake. Now, transgressions are uh, rooted in rebellions, what that word means. And I will not remember your sins. Now, this was God's desire for every one of us in this room right now. Regardless of the sin of your life, the shame of your life, the mistakes of your life, God wants to blot them out. But it takes participation on our behalf for that to happen, okay? We'll get in that a little bit further. He goes on to say, and I will not remember your sins. God says, put me in remembrance. Does God forget what he said? No. He just wants us to remember this is what he said. So he said, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. There's the partnership. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Now, when you look at some of those words in that, you would think it's almost like a courtroom place. And I believe this is what it is. And so he's asking us to state our case. And the reason he does is so that he may acquit us. Now, the word acquit means to be free from a penalty of a guilty action. Acquitted means to be justified. So if there is sin in your life or there is sin in my life, The spirit realm is very aware of our sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, the compensation of sin is death. 
The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.27, he said, don't give place to the devil. So in saying that right there, there's ways in our life that we open up the door to the devil. Now, here's a nugget for you young ones. If you never open the door to certain sins in your life, you never have to shut the door. But if you've opened the door to sin in your life, not only are you going to have to shut it through God's help, but you're going to continue to have to keep it shut because the devil doesn't go after your strengths. He'll go after your weaknesses. Whatever that is, he's going to keep coming around and trying to get you, okay? Hound you and hound you and hound you. Verse 27. Your first father sinned. One translation says your forefathers sinned. Another says your ancestors sinned against me. Now, when I read that right there, we must understand this. That when he's talking about the sins of our ancestors, that's talking about sins in our bloodline. Generational sin. Better stated this way, these sins have been around a long, long, long time when you're talking about your ancestors. And your mediators, your teachers, your priests, your prophets, your spokesmen have transgressed or rebelled against me. Not good. Therefore, I will profane, I will disqualify or disgrace the princesses of the sanctuary. That shows the state of the church. It's in bad shape when this is going on. I will give or consent Jacob to the curse or destruction and Israel to reproaches or shame. So when we look at all this, why? What was the problem? Sin. It was rooted in sin. Go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 20. So as you're turning there, we must deal with sin in a biblical manner. Even generational sin. Because sin does not evaporate over time just for the fun of it. Now, as we're turning to Exodus 20, this is the Ten Commandments, okay? Not the Ten Suggestions. Not the ten multiple choice. And so again, if the ten commandments were good for the Old Testament, they're still good for the new. Still pertain. See, that's the problem. We've tried to devalue them. We've tried to, to keep them out of our schools, out of our courtrooms. Many of you may have seen this letter, but it said, Dear God, why are you allowing our children to be killed in schools? And God replied back, because you kicked me out of your schools. You've rejected me. Me and Philip were talking about this in, in, in between services. That isn't the judgment of God upon us, okay? That's not what that is. But anytime I kick God out of my life or we kick God out of our schools, there's a void left there and something has to come in and fill that void. Now, there's only two uh, uh, arenas or realms in this place that we live in. It's the realm of God, the blessings, or it's the realm of the devil and the curse. So when you kick God out of certain situations or reject him, guess what's going to come in to fill that void? 
If I kick God out of my home, if I kick God out of my marriage, if I kick God out of my schools, guess what's going to happen? You get an idea real quick. So this is what's taking place in our society. Again, they'll say right now, everything's the problem, guns. Well, guns don't kill people. People kill people. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a member of the NRA, okay? I don't even own a BB gun. Okay? So that's not my point. My point is we can't kick God out of our lives and expect God to intervene when we've kicked him out. That doesn't mean we can't pray. Here's a thought for you. When you let your kids off to school tomorrow because you're a believer, speak the name of Jesus and blood over them. Okay? Loose the angels around them. God will protect them. You know, that doesn't have nothing to do with what I'm talking about. We better get in the Word. Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them, nor to serve them. The word serve there literally means to worship them. Now, if I went around the room and said, how many of you have been worshiping a carved image? None of us. How many of us been bowing down to these false gods? We wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. That doesn't pertain to us. But you realize that whatever you uh, serve or worship, that becomes your God. And one of the ways I identify that is, where does my resources and my time go to? Now, let me ask you something here. What do you spend the majority of your day doing? Well, I watch 22 hours of TV a day. So again, the God of TV. How about this? The God of food. How about this? We, we can serve the God of work. That's all I do is work. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. How about this? The God of Facebook. Don't go there, Pastor. Don't go there. Again, how, how many hours am I on Facebook? Am I consumed with it? I don't want to show your hands. But I would like to ask the question, how many of you right now got your phone and you're getting ready to look at Facebook? I heard my phone ding, 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 ding. I got to look, I got to look. Why do you got to look? Again, this identifies us in our society at times. Now, let's keep moving before I get off on something else. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Am a jealous God. Now that's a covenant name that he's a jealous God. But God is not an insecure God. So why does he say he's a jealous God? Because God is a God that wants your wholehearted devotion. In other words, he doesn't want to cohabitate. He wants all of you, okay? So that would be like me being married to Shelly all these years. And I, I, I was asked the question, are you married? And if I responded, kind of. Well, what does that mean? I'm a Christian, kind of. So even in my marriage covenant, that if I would begin to hit on other women's or flirt with other women's, you know what I'm saying to Shelly? I'm replacing you. And to a degree, that's exactly how we've treated Father God. Are you a Christian? Kind of. Well, what does that mean? You're either all in or you're all out. And so he said, he is a jealous God. Keep reading with me. And this is where we're going today. We're going to really dig in. 
Visiting, the best word for visiting there is punishing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. So he says right here, something happens with these iniquities that are transmitted to the third and the fourth generation. So now let's identify or break down the words iniquity. The word iniquity here means sin that has been passed down or, or transmitted to successive generations. The word iniquity is rooted in a word that means to twist or to bend. So now we go back four generations. It would look like this. When I begin to live in a sin or a certain type of behavior, that first generation begins to bend. The second generation begins to bend. The third generation begins to bend. And I'm telling that fourth really begins to bend. Kind of like a tree in the wind just the, the prevalent or the prevalent wind that comes out of a certain direction causes it to bend. This is what he's talking about. We begin to bend in a certain way toward our parents' iniquities or our parents' sin. So when we read this here, the entire family is affected. Now to understand this, we as human beings, we have an idea what the DNA, genetics, or things that are hereditary that come from our family are, don't we? Yes, we do. Let me give you an illustration, a couple that will help you. When you go to a doctor, one of the first things the doctor says, tell me the history of your, your family. Why does he do that? Because a doctor understands a lot of the things that you may have uh, in your life or your body right now are passed down. Cholesterol could be passed down from a, a, a mother or father. Do you agree with that? Thank you for the three or four that agree with it. We understand genetics or DNA from a viewpoint of how we look. I mean, how many of you ever been told, Woo, you look like your mama. You act like your daddy, but you look like your mama. How about this? We all understand this. When we see a child and we begin to say, man, he's going to be really big. Well, how do you come to that conclusion? Man, have you ever seen his dad and his mom? They're huge. Baby Shaq, or if you're 5'2 and your wife's 4'11 and 3 quarters, She's going to be a little oopaloopa, okay? How do we know that? Because of genetics. We all understand that side. But now we get into this thing called iniquities. And iniquities are spiritual genetics. It's spiritual dynamics that he said would come from the father. And so when you look at this, we become product of our parents' sin. We begin to fall into that inherited spiritual dynamics. Now, let me give you some ideas of what they can look like because I believe every bloodline has some form of iniquity in them. The iniquities in your bloodline may be totally, completely different from mine, but they're still in there. And so some of them that I begin to look at, anger. Man, my daddy was an angry man, and you know what? Before long, if you're not careful... How about this? Negative. Man, if you came out of a negative home, how about judgmental? How about critical? How about prideful? Maybe even the form of being very religious. That can be handed down. Now, I'm going to get into some more right here that are a little deeper. What about alcohol? 
What about drugs? Could it be adultery? Could it be murder? Could it be divorce? Yeah. Every one of those things that when we begin to look at the bloodline of our family, we begin to fall into those. And at times you're wondering, like, what happened? Well, it's an entrapment. So he says something here. The iniquities of the father to the third and the fourth generation. Now look at the last part of that verse. Of those who hate me. One translation says my enemies. The best one to me is to those who reject me. And so guess what? Every one of us in this room, we make the choice. Do I receive the things of God or do I reject them? Now, if I reject the things of God in my life, these things keep growing and they keep growing and they keep growing. And before long, it's the snowball effect. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Look at verse number 6. Just look at the very first word. But God is the God showing mercy to the thousands, to those who love me and obey me. Now, you know what he just said there? Everything changes to the blessing, the generational blessings. How? To those who love me. And those who obey me. Now he said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, obey me. Not just talk about me, but actually to obey me. So when I begin to love God and I obey God, it is like a magnet to God's mercy. You know what this shows me again? The spiritual realm is very much aware of every one of our actions in here right now. The generational to the iniquity side, but the mercy to this side. Now again, I have a choice to be. Which way I want to go. And what I found out, that genuine obedience in all our lives, it'll slam the door shut to sin when I begin to obey it. Now note something here. Showing mercy to the thousands. The reward for loving and obeying God is 500 times greater than that of the punishment of sin. So guess what happens? Instead of me bending toward this generational iniquity, this sin, I begin to come back upright. And before long, I begin to bend this way. And instead of being a generational curse, I'm a generational blessing. Does God want to do that? Absolutely. That's his desire. Now to help us a little further, go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Okay, so as you're turning to Deuteronomy 30. I begin to fall into a pattern that that I can go back and at the age of 12 it began to happen. I begin to have people say to me, Whoa, you look like your grandpa. Your characteristics are very similar to him. And then they begin to say, you act like your grandpa. I opened the door up to alcohol when I was 12. And you say, man, where were your parents at? I had good parents, okay? You may be a good parent, but you better 
think that your little children aren't innocent of everything. And I began to lean to that, and I bent to it, and I bent to it, and I bent to it, and I didn't understand this until I got born again. My grandfather died to death of alcohol in his early 50s. I knew this was the path I was going on. And so this passage here in Deuteronomy 30, this ministered to my heart in incredible ways. That's why I'm reading this today. Verse 14, Deuteronomy 30, chapter 30, verse 14. But the word of God is very near you in your mouth and your heart. That you may do it. Again, that has obedience written all over it. It's a good thing to get the word in your mouth and your heart. But I'm going to tell you, when you start acting on the word, that's a really good thing. See, I have set before you today. Now, I'm not going to highlight it completely here because it messed me up thinking about it. I encourage you, mark in your Bible to the todays in this passage. It's over and over. So you know what he's telling me? Today, make a decision today. Oftentimes we procrastinate. We just keep putting it off. But he said today, so he said, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. I've set before you today. So now we're going to first cafeteria to eat, okay? We're going down through the line. And, and right here, there's, there's a bunch of life and death, blessing and cursing, good and evil. It's, it's right there before every one of us. And guess what? You get to choose which one you take. Woo, I'll, I'll take a bowl of life. I'll take a bowl of good. But the green beans behind the counter, they just don't mysteriously scoop up in a bowl and fling across right on your plate. You gotta ask for it. You say, I desire green beans. And so again, it's if God has set up this big table before us and this is what He's put before us. Verse 16. And then I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, His judgment. Now listen to this. That you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. You know what that tells me right there? That's God's will. That's God's desire. That you live and you live well. And He'll bless you, but now you got to go back. Why? Because I obeyed. I began to obey the word of God. Verse 17. Oh, there's another one of those buttons ifs. But if your heart turns away so you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over in the Jordan to go in and possess. You know what God does here? He tells us His will. He says, I want to bless you. But if you choose to disobey, that's up to you. But understand, there's huge consequences. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Now again, we get kind of back to a a setting of a court. He said, I call witnesses. Well, what are witnesses are for? Witnesses are for to testify. To testify of what? Your choices. So in reading that right there, it again identifies that that the spiritual realm 
is very aware of me and you's choices. And there's witnesses that are testifying of your choices. So he says that I've said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. Now again in that passage, God loves us so much, he gives us the answer. He said, choose life. Choose life. Now, the last of this verse is what really rocked my world years ago. That both you and your descendants may live. The word descendant specifically says your children or your offspring. So now you begin to see something a little different here. Not only to my decisions, whether of life and death or blessing and cursing, not only do they impact me, they impact my children. And you know what? You can live selfish. You can live as selfish as you want. Say, you know what? I don't give a flip what happens to them. But it bothered me. And I began to look in this sense in my own heart. And I said, I don't want a hand. And this was in the Greek. I don't want to hand down that crap to my kids. I don't want them to have to go through this junk. And the junk that I was experiencing through alcohol was pain. I was causing pain. I left a trail of pain everywhere I went because of it. And so I have to look at this. And it's like a relay race. You're handing your baton off to your children in one way or another. And you may look and say, well, that's not fair. Well, that's what happens in a fallen world where people have separated themselves from God. When we reject God, guess what comes in to fill that void? We've opened the door again to junk that we don't want to. So now when I read this, I have a choice. So what do we do? Is there anything we can do? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. And you say, where is Nehemiah? Well, you go through First and Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles. You'll slide right on through the Chronicles, a book called Ezra, and then you'll hit Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm still hearing pages turn. I know that's a tough one. That may be one where all the pages are stuck together. Page 614 in my Bible. Probably didn't help a bit, did it? Is it close to anybody? 614, is that close to anybody? There's one right there. Okay, so it did help. I got to open this Bible up too because there's another translation. I want to read it in. Nehemiah 1, verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept for many days. I was fasting, praying before the God of heaven. Now, in the Old Testament, where you see that they sat down and they wept and they were in a state of mourning, it, it was associated with repentance. They would be so moved to repent, they would be grieved. So this is what he's saying he's doing. Verse 5. And I said, I pray, O Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant mercy, 
with those who love you and observe your commandments. Sounds very similar to Exodus 20, doesn't it? Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel. Your servants, and I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. Now this prophet here named Nehemiah, guess what he does? He realizes his nature's in a bad place, so he begins to repent of the sins of his nature, of his nation. But notice what he repents of at the end of verse 6. Both my father's house and I have sinned. The New Living says this, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. So you know what he begins to do here? He begins to confess the sin of his father and his sin. Now you may ask this question right now. Why do I have to confess the sins of my father? Well, let me tell you this first of all. That doesn't change their eternal status, okay? They've already made that decision if they're not here on the earth anymore. The reason he confessed the sin of his fathers is because those sins had never been repented of and turned from. So when I repent of those sins of my father, I begin to grant God, and let me say this real intently here, I grant God a legal right to move in my life. When I repent of my sins, it is a legal way for God to do what he desires to do. Well, what does God desire to do? He wants to blot out your sins. That was Isaiah. He said, man, I want to get away, get, a, get you rid of those things. But I need your partnership. I need your co- cooperation. I need you to partner with me today, okay? And so my part is, is I begin to repent of those sins and I'm not talking about a superficial repentance. I'm talking about a sin, a repentance of sin that's remorseful. It's remorseful. It says, Lord, I, I don't want to do that anymore. Look what he says in verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servants, Moses. So now, not only do I repent of the sins... I say, Father God, I need your help. I need your help. Grace me to obey your word. Mercy me to obey your word. I got one last passage. I want you to go with me. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. So why am I telling us that? Someone has to repent. In order for God to move legally... He needs us to repent. Do you know repentance is a choice of your will? God won't force you to do it. Now you're going to 2 Corinthians 7. I'm going to just read this verse to you. You may want to mark this. This is 2 Kings 17, 41. Their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. And I read that and it, it moved me. Their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. So literally, guess what he's saying? These are hand-me-downs. Throughout my life, I'm handing down something. 
over and over. Oh, I'm handing down, I'm handing down, I'm handing down. It becomes a choice. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you may suffer loss from us in nothing. Now again, the word repentance has to do is a confession of sin. The Amplified says, you turn to God. Something happens when I repent. I think a lot of times within the church, we viewed repentance as a negative. Man, it's not. It's a blessing. Verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to salvation. Now, if I read this correctly and accurately, the only way I can truly walk in salvation is to have godly repentance. Without godly repentance, there is no salvation, is what he just said right there. And so, when we talk here about godly repentance, it's not just a verbal confession But the exact word of repentance means to do a 180, to turn, to change. Again, if I could change on my own, I would have done it. And so this is where God's mercy comes in. So God wants us to confess our sin, but he says, listen, I'll mercy you when you repent with a true heart. Now watch where he ends this. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So you know what that means? Sometimes human beings repent not because they want to change, but because they got caught. I've done that. I've been there. And so something happens when I stand for God and I say, Father God, I, I repent of my sin. I repent of that. And not only do I repent of that, I ask you to help me. Now, in that passage where he says repentance leads to salvation, the Amplified says repentance leads to salvation and deliverance. Woo, a double blessing right there. And so you know what God just says to me? That when I repent, he'll take my guilt, he'll take my shame, he'll take my regrets. I can stand before you today and I can tell you, I before have had huge shame, huge regrets. Many of you in this room are the same way. And a lot of times when you begin to repent and do those things, the devil will come back and he'll begin to yak at you and say, oh, you did this and you were so ugly and you did that. He'll keep on yakking at you. There's a time when you tell him you shut up in the name of Jesus. That God said that I'm forgiven when I confess my sin. And so when you think about the word repentance, guys, repentance isn't a one-time deal. Woo, I repented one time and now I can live happily ever after, however I want. Well, let me ask you something. How many of you eat every day? This is a loaded question. How many of you shower every day? What are you getting at the point here is repentance needs to be a daily thing. 
Not to give me a license to sin. But repentance is to say, Father God, I want to stay right with you. I want to stay in a right relationship with you. And Philip, the only thing that divides me from God is sin. And so that's where I come before God and I repent. How many in here take a daily vitamin? It's daily. See, those things are important because even with repentance, it needs to be a daily thing where, man, I go to God and it's not, oh, Father God, I'm sorry I got caught again. No, Lord, I I repent. And so when we talk about repentance, repentance is taking ownership and responsibility of what I've done. But I ask God, God, do you forgive me? I ask you to forgive me. And then guess what? As you shower every day and you stand underneath that water, there's times this analogy helps me incredibly. I stand under the blood of Jesus. And I let the blood of Jesus wash me. And I let the blood of Jesus cleanse me. And somehow, sometimes that's how you got to look at that. And you say, Lord Jesus, not only do I repent today, I ask your blood to wash my eyes, wash my mind, wash my ears. Because according to Revelations 12, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by the blood. As long as I keep repenting and I stay under the blood, something begins to happen. What happens, Pastor? Well, Romans 8, chapter 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So guess what? I don't have to live. If you're feeling condemnation, that's not from God. That's the devil that says, I want to shame you. And I've seen a lot of times people are not willing to go and repent because of shame. Let me tell you something. This may be a huge revelation to some of you today. We've all got sin. The Bible said we've all sinned and fallen short of His glory. We've all sinned. It's just some of us are worse sinners than others. But I'm still a sinner. I can go back and I can show you example after example in my own life of how I begin to bend towards certain things. It may look different for every one of us. That's why I gave us those lists. But let me ask you something today. Is that an area of your life you're bending toward right now? And you don't like it. And understand this. You're going to hand that baton off to your children. So I get married at a young age. And Shelly thinks she's married Prince Charming. Wrong. I got a lot of baggage. And before long it becomes very apparent of some of the things that were were the baggage in my life. And so we walk this out together. And we begin to pray and we begin to repent and we begin to stand. And we stood on the word and we stood on the word and we stood on the word. And so when people tell me the word of God doesn't work, don't tell me that. Because he took a good sinner and he set me free. He set me free. There was guys in the first service, they said, I've been, one of them said, I've been bound to alcohol for 32 years. I said, I've been there. I've been there. Repent and say, Father God, I don't want to do that. I repent of that. And Lord, I look for you to say, you would show mercy to the thousands. And I said, you hang on to the blood of Jesus. So I'm not here to beat anybody up. 
I'm here to say, man, there is something that biblically God said you can do. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.